Welcome to the Sports of Business Podcast. Today we have Lauren Lee, VP at JP Morgan Chase. Welcome, folks, to the Sports of Business Podcast. This is your host, Tanvir. I chat with executives and professional athletes on making big plays in business. On this week's episode, I had the pleasure of chatting with Lauren Lee, a VP at JP Morgan Chase and a former VP at Goldman Sachs, and who played NCAA Division I field hockey at Hofstra University. We discuss why Lauren chose field hockey as her favorite sport, how she made the decision to choose Hofstra University from a lot of decisions during her high school years, why Lauren believes digital transformations are all about people, one trick we can all use when we feel like not giving our best in a certain role, how Lauren hires her team, and one thing every executive can do today to come out of this pandemic stronger. And remember, folks, if you resonate with this episode, remember to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with a friend or a colleague. Remember to follow Lauren, and you can connect with her on LinkedIn. All right, folks, let's jump in with the one and only Lauren Lee. Welcome, everyone, to the Sports of Business podcast. Today, we have a really special guest, Lauren Lee. Welcome to the show. Amazing. Thank you so much, Tanvir. I'm excited to chat with y'all. Um, no, so, you know, I'm, I'm super excited because uh, I saw your profile and you were just chatting before you jumped on the podcast that the, I think there's a lot of um, great advice that will come out of this podcast for not just student athletes, but also for executives, the way you've led your career. So um, a quick introduction for you. You're a VP at JP Morgan and Chase. And before that, you were a VP at actually Goldman Sachs. And you were an NCAA field hockey varsity student athlete. Great career. Such a great career progression. Can't wait to jump into all these things on today's show. Absolutely. Can't wait to share. So what are you doing these days? What's keeping you busy in the quarantine life? Oh, goodness. It's keeping me busy in the quarantine life. Well, I'll I'll, I'll speak a little bit about about work. Um, So as you mentioned, I am a vice president in financial services operations and I spend my time in digital transformation and strategy for our organization. And when I think about financial services operations, um, the way I describe it to my family members who have no idea what I do in financial services is we are the the fulfillment of Amazon. So if you want to purchase a stock or open a bank account or whatever it is that that you want to engage with the financial services industry, there's an operations team that powers, that's the engine behind Um, all of those engagements with uh, whatever company that you're interacting with. And in in order to really better serve our clients, we have to make sure that we can do things as fast as Amazon. That is what our clients expect now. So with with the digital transformation of various different industries, I think financial services has has really had to spend a little bit of time catching up um, Mm -hmm. and really leading the organization through that change and and through those transformations is really where I've, I've really found my sweet spot in my career. That's a great point you bring up because, you know, I, I was talking to a few of my clients last week and I was talking how digital transformations, you know, was something that people thought would be something we might do or something in the future. But now everyone's already made five years of ground in one year, no matter what industry you're in, and especially banking and financial services. So, I'm, you know, that's a great way to answer what's keeping you busy these days. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, um, our, our whole world changed about a year ago and yeah. there were certain things that we had on, on our roadmap in our plans of, oh, I want to 
remove paper from this process, or I want to automate this particular thing, or I want to use this vendor because they can yeah. help me help me serve my clients in a much better, faster, scalable way. And then all of a sudden we had to change everything and we had to do it overnight. So it was, I think, both a, a huge challenge for us, but also a huge opportunity because those who rose to that challenge and were, were able to accelerate that transformation have only proved that it doesn't matter where you're working. And you mm-hmm. can still be a, a, a highly effective team and, and arguably in some respects more effective when you're effective. forced to, to transform overnight. So it was, it was not easy and it did not come without bumps in the road, but I think we're, we're certainly a much more scalable organization now as a result. I think you'll relate that my, my coach always said championships are won in the off season. And it's, I, I almost see this as the off season of the businesses that actually want to make big strides for the years to come. And I think that's exactly what you guys are doing, right? So that's kudos to you and the team. Let's take a step back. Um, Lauren, walk me through how you got started in the sports side of things and your journey to uh, university and, uh, and NCAA. Yeah, definitely. So I think, so I grew up in, in Dearborn, Michigan. I'm a Midwestern gal at heart, and I found myself on the East Coast really in, in my college journey. And growing up, I played just about every sport you could imagine. So I played oh. soccer, I ran track, I played volleyball. Uh, I was never any good at softball, but I did try. And I found my love for field hockey actually in, in high school, where I think a, a lot of folks who, who play D1 sports in college, it's probably the sport they, they played really growing up. Um, but for me, field hockey wasn't an option in elementary school and middle school. It only really became um, a, an option for me to play once I, I hit high school. But the second I did, I just absolutely fell in love with it. And it was, I, I still continued to play other sports in high school, but I realized this is, this is the one I want to focus on. This is where I see myself. And ultimately, when I, I made the decision to go to Hofstra, I had, as you can imagine, in the, the whole um, college recruiting mm-hmm. environment, you, you have lots of offers and lots of, of places that you can choose from. And I, having had probably less experience in field hockey than those who I was competing with for D1 slots, I looked at D1 schools, I looked at D2 schools, I looked at D3 schools, and I had lots of different places to pick from. But I ultimately decided to go to Hofstra for two reasons. One, um, I knew that I was always a student athlete at heart. And to me, student always comes before athlete. And I knew that I wanted a solid business program. And I wanted to be close to New York City, because that's really where I saw myself in my career. And two, um, when I made the decision really to say I, I want to play Division One as opposed to D2 or D3, I, I looked at it and went, I need to surround myself with people who have played the sport longer, who are better than me and who will challenge me. And exactly as much as I had, you know, offers to say, you could be a starter in this D3 or D2 D2 squad. That's amazing. But I, I spent more time on the bench in my D1 career than I did on the field, but that was absolutely the right decision for me because it made me a better player. And it made me realize that there are other ways to contribute than just on the field. And I think I, I certainly, I wouldn't change it for the world. That's a great, really great point because, you know, in business or in sports, even in life, you're not always the one with the spotlight, but you just made a comment, Lauren, that in your first year, you decided to go to a school where you weren't the star, but you still made a positive impact. How did you do that? And what, what would you tell students or even people today that are not in the spotlight and are almost feeling like, you know what? I don't want to give them my best because nobody's recognizing my work and I'm not getting the, I'm not in the newspaper. What would you tell all these people? Yeah, it's a great question. I think 
it's one, it's one principle that's carried over for me from college into my business career. And it's this, you need to be responsible for the energy that you bring into a room because that energy that you bring to whatever your role is on that team, everyone has a role and your role can change. Um, but whatever it is, you, you need to bring your whole self, all of your talents, all of your energy, all of what makes you you to that particular seat. And the thing that resonated with me in college was I, I had one of my teammates um, come up to me after a game. And I always, again, there were games I played and games that I sat on the bench. But whenever I sat on the bench, I was cheering. I was bringing my teammates up. I was giving them pep talks when they came on and off the field. And I had one of my, my best friends now um, come up to me and say, you know what? I just, I love that you are the most positive person that I talk to, no matter how difficult a game we're having, no matter if you've played or if you haven't played, that oh. I come off the field and, and you lift me up and you just bring this energy every single time we come to a game, no matter what your role is. And I thought, see, that's, I don't need to be only scoring goals to, to bring my team up and to, to have a role and to, to contribute. And that to me is what, what proved that you're always going to have those, those different aspects in life. Yeah. To your point, you may be the lead on the project. You may be supporting. You may be the manager. You may be the one who's being managed. But at the end of the day, you need to bring all of your talents to whatever seat that you're in because that seat's temporary, whatever it is. You're going to go on to the next thing and you're going to need to take with you that experience and, and what, you've, what you've contributed to that, to that group. And do you believe that if you are in a role that is not in the limelight, and if you put your heart, sweat, blood, everything into that role, that you will be rewarded somehow down the road. And has that something happened for you? Yeah, absolutely. I look at it and go, how do you make your way into the limelight if you don't learn what you need to learn to have the skill sets to deliver something that puts you into the limelight? Yeah. It's, it's all it, your career. It's so simple long. when you say it that way, right? But it's such a hard concept for some people to grasp. And look, it's hard in that moment too, right? I can't yeah. say that in every seat that I've sat in where I'm, I'm you know, the, the supporting actress or, you know, even, even the, the, the stagehand or the backup person, it's not always glamorous. It's not always I walk into it and think that this is my dream job, but you have to walk into it and think there's something for me to take away from this. There's something for me to learn. There's something that's going to help me grow. Focus on that thing and take that away and apply it to the next thing that you do. And then all of a sudden, you're going to realize that all of the experiences that you've had have, have made you the person that you are and given you the tools and the toolkit to be in the mm -hmm. limelight. And then when you're in the limelight, to own it, to feel confident, and to be able to deliver in that limelight. Because there's nothing worse than being in the limelight and realizing, I'm not yeah. really sure that I have I the right skill sets to be able to do this, you know? Exactly. It's like, you know, um, I worked at, at RBIs, at 3G Capital, and these guys always love to promote you before you're ready. That's what they said. But the people that were promoted into these roles faster were the people that had proven themselves and did all the work when no one was really watching. So that when you're in that moment, whether you're on the field, whether you're in a project, you're like, you know what? I've done this before. I'll, I'll make some mistakes, but I'll figure this out. Now, if you cheated your way there, you know, no matter what kinds of um, help you look for, or maybe, you know, if you're trying to do the politics game, eventually you're going to fail. And I think people have to understand that you have to put in the work. There's no shortcut, especially in today's world of instant gratification that we're all living in. Absolutely. I think a lot about, you know, when I, when I think about promotion for those who I manage and I think about my own career trajectory, you always want to have done the job before you get promoted to the job. And that was something that was really difficult for me to understand and accept mm -hmm. early in my career because I just, I thought to myself, well, you know, I'm capable. 
look at what I've demonstrated and you know that I'm capable of, of moving on to the next seat. But you're always that much more successful if you know without a shadow of a doubt that you can achieve at that level before you're put in that seat. And it's, it requires diligence. It requires patience. But I think it's, it's always, to your point, somebody will see through the smoke and mirrors. If you find your way to the top without, without that foundation, someone's going to be able to poke holes in it. And that's not going to be comfortable for you when you're there. Yeah. Now, obviously, you know, in your career, as you've gone up on the journey, I'm sure in field hockey or even in, in corporate, right? You got a pretty good progression. Talk to me about failure and perseverance. Cause I know those things go hand in hand, especially in the sports side, but I'm sure you wouldn't have not have done everything that you've done in the, in the financial side, unless you failed. And I'm pretty sure you learn from those moments as well. A thousand percent. And I think failure and perseverance, they absolutely go hand in hand. And I think one aspect of that is it ties back to what we were talking about previously, but just being responsible for your energy. When I think back to sports careers, you've certainly lost games, you've missed shots, but we all know the teammate that's on the field that when they miss a shot or when the game's not going their way, they throw their stick on the ground and throw their hands in the air, scream at the ref and get a yellow card or whatever the case may be, that impacts everybody else. And, you know, you, you get a red card and you're thrown out, you can't come back and contribute. So I think as you are working through those hard moments, um, I, I always try and keep grounded in, be responsible for that energy, be responsible for what you're bringing to the table, yeah. because by and large, you are promoted at your company, you are valued for the moments that aren't going your way. When everything's going great, when you're, you're firing on all cylinders, that's fantastic. That feels really good. But when we think about the leaders at our company, it's those who are able to lead through really difficult, challenging situations. Mm -hmm. And when I think about the, uh, I, there's a countless, countless times I can think about things that have failed and, and have not gone right. Things that I always take away from them are how you reached out for help, how you managed through it, and how you were ultimately able to rally the team around whatever that problem was, probably got you to a better solution. And again, there's, there's something for you to take along the way with those failures. But um, the, the thing that I usually tell new people at my company is, is don't, don't fail by yourself. Don't suffer alone. Always put your hand up. There's, there's people who are going to rally around you who are, who are going to help you. It becomes much more difficult to solve a problem, especially in financial services, if, it's, if we don't know about it. Nobody likes surprises. Surprises are much more difficult to deal with <laughs> when they come out later. So yeah. if you put your hand up early, you ask for help, um, then I would even argue that maybe you won't even have a failure. Uh, that that mm -hmm. the sooner you bring people mm -hmm. in, the sooner that, that the team can, can rally around you. Yeah, no surprise. That was the best line my manager would always say to me as well. Um, and you know what? It goes in every business, right? Like if, let's say you're running your own business. The last thing you want to hear is someone come to you the last moment before a big product and say, oh shit, you know, we had this problem. We're trying to fix it, but we can't. I should have told you earlier, but I didn't. But now everything else is in jeopardy. So I think just, you know, what you're saying, if I can summarize that is if you have a problem, if you know something's not going to work, put your hand up ask for help and be willing to come up with recommendations before the deadline, right? Before it gets worse. And people, most of the time, executives or leaders will actually thank you for doing that versus if you wait till the last moment. Absolutely. I think the people who, who really do that effectively, that put their hand up and say, listen, I have this problem. I've tried to solve it in these ways. Here's how they haven't worked. 
here's how I think we maybe could solve it. What do you think? What should we do? If you can approach that conversation with having a view, being able to describe how you tried to fix it, and then allow those who maybe have more experience or have different yeah. experiences from you have input, then it, be, then it becomes a, a, a really positive and fruitful conversation. But trying to just solve it yourself when things aren't going your way, that's just, like we said, that's, that's a recipe for having a really ugly surprise later on. <laughs> exactly. Now, one thing that happens when you actually are failing, though, is you start to think about, or if you did hit a failure, right, you start to think about the negativity around it. So let's say on football field, I missed a tackle, maybe you missed a shot, got a, got a bad penalty. Um, there's, I think there's two ways you can handle that. One, you can dwell on that and maybe let it affect the future of the game or your project. Or number two, you can shake it off, have a short memory and say, let's move forward. What would, what is something that worked for you in this situation? How have you always maintained the positivity uh, of moving forward after you make a mistake? Yeah, I got a really great piece of feedback from uh, a manager when I was an analyst, where I think when I, when I first entered my career, I put, I put a lot of pressure on myself, as you do. You do as an athlete yeah. and you do in your career as well. And early on in my career, I always wanted to, to have people see this, this very um, perfectionist facade of anything that Lauren gives me is fully vetted. It's done and dusted. I don't have to give any feedback to it. It's, it's perfect right off the shelf, whatever, whatever her work product is, it's completely done and it's wonderful. And that's just not reality. But that's when I entered my career. That's what I thought I had to do. I thought, okay, I'm, I'm an analyst now. I work at Goldman Sachs. I need to, I need to present this exterior that make people see why they hired me and why I belong here. I didn't go to an Ivy League school. You know, I, I, I had a little bit of imposter syndrome early on in my mm -hmm. career. And I realized that um, that's, that's simply not realistic and it's simply not sustainable. And the piece of advice that the, the manager gave me was, it's, it's wasted energy spending time beating yourself up over the things that didn't go wrong. It's, it's not so fruitful. True. Yes, have, have the postmortem, understand what happened, learn from it, but don't dwell on, I wish I would have, and don't dwell on, I should have done this instead. Yes, of course, we can all look back and, and point to decisions that we could have made differently, but your, your energy is your most precious resource. We certainly learn that as, as athletes, where you know recovery time and, mm -hmm. and where you spend your energy and your devotion, that that is truly your most precious resource. It's more important than than anything now in my career. Um, but spending that energy just getting down on yourself, it doesn't it doesn't help at the end of the day. You know, you can you can dwell on it, but also you could just go. I'm going to spend my energy thinking about how I could do this differently in a positive way, make the change in the future, and and let bygones be bygones. Yeah, and almost re remove yourself from. The results. Separate yourself out. Say, here's and with facts and data. Here's what I did. Here's what went well. He did what didn't go well. Let's fix the stuff that didn't go well. Let's build on the things that went well, and almost see yourself as this prototype that you're continually investing in. And that actually puts the stress away from you because even let's say, you know, I have my own business now, and I'm always like, you know, I got to do better. I got to do better. But the moment I say, let's take a step back, and just look at this as this entity on its own. It's a lot easier for me to, you know, make decisions versus if you're really involved and in you have the biases, right? Which as athletes, it's also really tough to do. So I think that's a great point that you make. Um, now, if you are, I'm going to actually turn it around a little bit because I think this is the problem that I've seen in the corporate when I was in, in working 
that I think people can benefit from your experience, Lauren, is if you see someone on your team that is down, that has made a mistake, that is feeling, you know, like it is going to affect their performance and you see that, how can you help someone? Because at the end of the day, if they're not doing their best, your entire team will suffer. So it's actually a matter of the team. Yeah, definitely. When I, so I approach teams at work in the exact same way that I approached teams in, in sports and in college. And everyone's going to bring a different version of themselves every single day. And some days are going to be better than others. And I think if I put myself, I always try and put myself in the shoes of the individual who's having a tough time, who had a project rollout that didn't go well, who pitched an idea that didn't get funding, you know, whatever the case may be. I think about how would I feel if, if I were going through that? And I ask a question and I just listen. And more often than not, I find on my team that if people just know that you're there for them, that you have an open ear, that whatever they're going through, they can share with you. Because a lot of times, I think early on in my career, I always wanted to help, right? Where if I saw someone going through something challenging, it would be, what can I do for you? What can I take off your plate? How can I help you? And that's, that is helpful. I'm not saying don't do that. But more often than not, if you just pause and, and ask, how are you doing? What can I do? You know, what's, what's going on? More often, if people just have the ability to get it off their chest, know that you're there for them as a teammate or a manager, yeah. um, that usually is, is, is what helps the most. It's not always, I need you to take this on or I, you know, I'm, I'm underwater and I, I need to divvy up my work and start handing it out to others. It's just, I'm having a rough time. I need to share what it is that I'm going through. And then people are, are just that much closer as a team as a result. And it's interesting how you never mentioned the word technology even once even though you're working in a digital transformation role, right? So how important do you feel a leadership and culture is in a tech world? Because everything that you're saying is all about people and leadership, even though you're doing all these massive transformations. I mean, if you think about a lot of the, the great technology out there, um, who, who created it? Who designed it? People. All, all technology comes from people. Exactly. It comes from somebody who had a really great idea and was able to rally the team around their really great idea. They, they were able to mm -hmm. convince people to spend some money on it. They were able to find people who could do each of the thing that, that that technology needed, someone to build it, someone to sell it, someone to, you know, make the user interface work yeah. for all, all of their clients. So I, I look at technology, you, you have to humanize it. And in order to apply technology to your company, you have to humanize your company as well. What exactly does your company need? Are there problems that technology can help solve? Um, and if so, how do you marry your strategy and your people strategy with the technology solutions that you, that you have? Because one without the other, if you have great technology, but, but you don't have the right people strategy around it, it's pointless. That can be really wonderful mm -hmm. technology, but it's not going to solve the business problem that you have if you don't actually marry it with the skill sets, the drive, and the people in your organization. It just falls flat. Yeah, so almost like you have to, I always say this thing, you got to be future back. So you got to look at where do you want to go? What people do you need to get there? What technologies do you need to get there? And then executing on that plan, right? Um, and I think most people either were short-term oriented, just like to throw things and hope they stick. But at the end of the day, if you don't have adoption, it's not going to work. So Yeah, we, we yeah. call that in my world, um, you need to make a plan from which to deviate. Because you know that you're going to change the plan, you're going to implement it slightly differently, deadlines are going to shift, people are going to shift, 
But if you don't start out with that strategy of where is it that we want to get to, what do we need in order to get there, then you're never going to get there. But you have to you have to create that roadmap and then figure out how all the rest of the pieces of your organization fit together to deliver that roadmap. That's honestly the hardest thing about being in a strategy and transformation role. And that's why our team is called strategy and transformation, Mm -hmm. because the two have to go hand in hand. You cannot Mm -hmm. have transformation without an effective strategy or vice versa. And bulk of the work is change management at the end of the day. Um, Yeah. Yeah. The, now to go even a little further here. um, So I, you know, I'm leading tech projects and I don't know how to code, right? I don't know that. I don't think most people know that. And do you know how to code, Lauren? Are you? I don't. I am am a, the reason I'm asking this is because for a lot of athletes watching right now, they want to go to tech. Please enlighten everybody that you can have a career in technology without being a coder. A thousand percent. And, and it goes back to everyone on the team has a role. I think I early on in my career, I thought about making a change from being on the operations side of things and, and shifting and actually being on the development team and learning how to code. And what I realized that I was actually much more passionate about, while I love the how-to behind coding. But what I actually like is the adoption of technology to solve business problems. And I found that you can have a really great development team, but again, it ties back to what problem Mm -hmm. is that development team solving? I never Mm -hmm. wanted to be just developing in a silo and coming up with these great solutions because I'm the world's greatest coder, but without the right team around me to figure out how we apply it, what we build to really drive the evolution of that product. Um, I, I wanted to be in that driver's seat. I wanted to be engaging with the business stakeholders to understand how are we serving our clients? What do they need? And then how can we unlock all of the great skill sets of our developers across the organization to be able to deliver that? That's really where I've, I've found my sweet spot. So I laugh because I spend all day, every day with a development team. So I almost, I probably should know how to code at this point. Yeah. <laughs> probably some feedback that I should take away that how come I haven't picked it up just by nature of, of where yeah. I sit yeah. and who I work with. But um, there's there's lots of different facets of, of transformation and development. And it doesn't have to be, you know, I'm, I'm the greatest coder in order to be a part of it. Actually, on a very different topic, um, because I get asked this question a lot of times from either clients or just industry executives in general, do you, or how do you make a decision whether you want to outsource or build in-house? It, it's a fantastic question and one that we, we go back and forth on almost on a daily basis. But for me, it comes down to what are our core competencies as an organization? So what are the things that are so important to us and are so important to our client experience that we feel we have a competitive advantage by nature of keeping that within our four walls. So you have to look at it as what, what's the secret sauce? Mm-hmm. Never outsource the secret sauce. That always has to it's stay It's almost like Pepsi or KFC secret, you know, outsourcing their, mm-hmm. their, their formula, right? You don't do that. Exactly. That is, that's <laughs> never something you want to outsource. Um, uh, to use an Amazon example, actually, you, you could see how Amazon in bringing logistics in-house was something that they, I guess, initially didn't see as a core competency, but then realized that they needed to have more control over. So they made that decision of, I want to bring this in because it's so important to my client service model that that Mm -hmm. I need need full ownership of it. Um, But then it's always the hard decision of where are the things that we know are important, but could probably be done better. And I think especially in financial services, you see a new fintech pop up 
every week you read about mm-hmm. some new latest and greatest idea in the news that's got a ton of venture capital backing behind it and a really fantastic platform that I think, wow, that could, that could really apply for us. And even being able to decide amongst all of those different competitors in the market. Um, one, it's, it's, it presents both a, a blessing and a curse for those who are at you know, large banks that have been around for a while where it lights a fire under us a little bit to say, hey, we need to act probably a little bit more like a fintech. Um, but also, we need to probably leverage these fintechs within our organization. Um, and it really just comes down to what are our core competencies? Where can we really add value by keeping things internal? And what are extraneous and what are things that, that we think we should just you know, have somebody with the, the sole focus and skill set import into our organization? Yeah, as, as you're looking at you know, bringing some of these new technologies into your workplace um, or bringing stuff in in-house, what is something that you know, you've learned in your career as, a, as an athlete, either teamwork um, you know, working through adversity or just even strategy, like, you know, cause a lot of people don't understand that sports is huge on strategy, the playbooks, how you, how you handle, you know, your first half versus second half, if you're up or down, how, how do you apply, have you applied these things in all of these great things you're doing in the banks? Absolutely. I think one of my favorite coaches had this saying, and it, it, it came from, it's actually my high school coach. And she had this saying for us, and it was, on any given day, on any given field, any team can win. And she said that to us because, again, where we grew up, field hockey wasn't popular until high school. And we were playing other schools where it was in, you know, embedded. They had kind of all these, these feeder programs from all these different elementary schools. They had camps from the times that they were you know, tall enough to hold a stick, and we didn't have that. But what we did have was a team with a lot of heart. And a team that on, on any given day could, could really bring the competition to a, a team that had a ton more experience than us. And I think about that in business all the time, where you, you could look at something and think, maybe this isn't going to work or, oh, this isn't going to happen because, you know, this other person has way more experience than me or whether it's, you know, a, a solution that you're pitching or a job that you're interviewing for. And you just have to look at it and go, you don't know what's going to happen in the environment. You don't know the decision-making factors behind, you know, the person who's sitting on the opposite side of the table from you. But if you come into that going, I could come out of this successful in whatever that mm-hmm. endeavor may be, um, you're all the more likely to do that. And the second piece that I, I absolutely take from sports is when you think about constructing a sports team, you need a variety of skill sets. You need a variety of players who bring different things to the table. If I have a field hockey team of all keepers, that's certainly not going to help me. I'm not going to win any <laughs> games. But I think about the same team, the, the same team principles in business, where we talk a lot about diversity and inclusion in hiring. But to me, diversity and inclusion means I need a great goal scorer. I need a great defense person. I need a midfielder who's the glue between all the various different mm-hmm. players on the team. Mm-hmm. You need those skill sets. You need those backgrounds in business. So when I take a look at my team, I think about what are the skill sets that I think I bring to the table? And then I look for what I don't have, because what I don't want is bringing somebody in who thinks and acts and does things in the exact same way that I do. I want to bring people into the team who have different skill sets, different perspectives and different backgrounds to offer, because that's how we're going to be successful. Wow. Uh, I have this saying where I say you want to build a superstar team, not a team of superstars. Because you all know if you just get a bunch of great, strong people and put them together on one team, it's not going to work. Because as you said, the mid, you don't have the glue that almost brings everybody else together. So how do you hire your team, Lauren? Do you, 
Uh, is it based on a system? Is it based on experience or is it a bit of both? Is it most potential? What's your philosophy? That's, that's a really great question. I think as always for me, hiring starts with a business need of what do I need to bring to my business? What don't I have? And then I think about that business need. And then I look at my team and ask the same question again and go, okay, I don't have this skill set. Um, but what, what don't I have? Do I, do I not have enough women on the team? Do I not have enough people of color on the team? Do I not have a background of folks of, of different places that they're from, different socioeconomic situations? I want to bring together a group of folks who are truly all very different. So I often ask myself, you know, again, I'm constantly searching for what don't I have and, and how can I bring that to the team? Um, but to your point of potential, I will always hire for potential more than I will hire for experience. People can have the most experience and these very specific skill sets mm -hmm. that I need. But at the end of the day, with experience can also come and hand on heart me as well, can come with some bad habits. So I, yep. I, I love being able to, to shape and grow people's experience early on in their career, because I think you, you, have, you have all of this untapped excitement and potential, and you're able to, to guide them along and, and coach them in a way that I think is, is most impactful for your organization. And again, that's not to say that I don't hire people with experience, because I certainly do. But I say that you know, more so for the, the student athletes who are listening in, that it is not important if you if you don't have seven internships at all these prestigious firms on your resume ahead of applying for your full time job. Um, you you need to be able to demonstrate what you bring to the table and never ever sell short what that athletics experience is because it you know especially for those of us athletes who who now work in business um, it, mm -hmm. it it day in and day out is is something that that rings true for me in business. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and to you kind of to go deeper on your point, everything that I've ever done in, in the tech side, I always look back, I'm like, the reason I was successful is because of my experience as an athlete. And I always remind myself that because when I was starting out after graduating university, a few folks told me to remove that experience from my resume, that nobody cares. I'm like, glad I didn't listen to these guys, because if I did, I probably wouldn't be doing what I am today. So I think just to reiterate your point, Lauren, everybody listening, like that is the experience you want to talk about if you're a student athlete, because trust me, leaders out there know that you are capable and you can bring more to the table than others that don't have that experience. And just to add on to your point as well, the thing I love about hiring student athletes is that athletes are so used to hearing the things that they're not doing well, where they're so used to just coaching, 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 and, mm -hmm. and picking out all the things that they need to change, that they need to do better. It becomes second nature. And they become hungry for that. And as an athlete, if you're not getting feedback, it feels really strange where you go, am I doing well? Am I not doing well? Am I going to get banked because coach doesn't care anymore? That's what happens if you don't get feedback. It's like, exactly. What? <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's such an interesting thing in the business world because I, I still to this day have that innate kind of, I need to know how I'm doing at all times. And, you know, at some points where my manager just goes, you're doing well, like, please, <laughs> yeah, <just> <laughs> you're, you're, all I hear from you is what can I be doing differently? What can I be doing differently? You know, I, I, at some point I have nothing left to tell you, but I love that in student athletes that come and work for me because it becomes a very natural rapport. I think feedback is so, so important in your athletic career. And it's so, so important in, in your career after athletics, but it's, it's a night and day difference with, with new hires where if one comes from athletics and one doesn't, um, how they take feedback, how mm -hmm. they learn from it and how they grow from it, where it's, it's 
second nature for an athlete. And it's a learning experience for those who haven't been through that athletics experience. Absolutely. And, and I have a, another actually question for you that just came to my mind as you're saying this, Lauren, is something that I've experienced myself. And I've been on both sides where uh, as an employee or a leader, where the way you show up to work, and even if let's say every day you come to work and you're smiling every single day, and one day you don't smile, it has a huge impact on the people around you, on your team. Uh, and that's something that I think, you know, something the feedback that you were saying is like, we're so used to getting the feedback as athletes. The moment you stop getting the feedback, you're like, what's going on? You start reading into situations. And same in the business world, the moment you, somebody deviates from how they've been behaving with you as a manager, it almost does more harm to then go to teams. And I don't real, I don't think most people realize that. So I don't know if you've ever noticed that or if, if you are careful or if you if you ever seen um, that affect the team in the way that I've seen it. Yeah, it's certainly something that I think about because again, it goes back to that athletics experience of if you've got a team captain on the field and your team's down two to one and you've got five minutes left and a call doesn't go your way and the team captain hangs their head, drops their shoulders and just in that moment gives up, the rest of the team gives up. Yep. And the same exact thing happens in business where if you are, to your point, if, if you walk into the office and usually you're that culture carrier who brings the team up, who lifts the team up and, and you just, you don't bring that energy and you, or, or even worse, you bring, you bring a negative energy, you bring a, a, a bad attitude. Yeah. Um, it, it does impact people. And that's not to say that you can't have a bad day. We've, we've all had bad days, but I always, I think about it from the standpoint of if I were on the field now and all eyes were on me, um, how would I act? How would I behave? Because it impacts other people. So I always try and keep that in the back of my mind. When I walk into the office, it's, you have to be responsible for the energy you bring into a room because you're responsible for your teammates. If you expect them to be responsible to you, you, you owe that right back to them. It's a great analogy. Um, yeah, I, I think it's great always to remind yourself, Hey, if somebody had, if, if you have 40,000 people looking at you right now, how do you want to be seen on the big screen? That's beautiful. Um, so I think, you know, uh, that's definitely motivational, something I'm going to take away from this, um, this interview, um, Lauren, let's, you know, one more question, I think, um, that I, that I think people can really benefit from executives today are, um, executing in a world that is changing rapidly, right? You're having things are changed. The business models are changing. You have uncertainty, uh, and is sometimes it is a little unraveling and, and you are working from home, you have remote teams and we all have seen the kind of pressure people have. We're actually working longer hours. What advice would you give the executive teams today, um, you know, either from your sports experience or your career so far on what one thing they can do right now to make things better and actually a bit more positive as we come out of this pandemic? I think if I were to zero in on the most important thing, it's the impact that recovery time has on individuals where you're exactly right. People are always connected. They're working much longer hours. Um, they may be taking earlier meetings than they would have ordinarily taking later meetings than they would mm -hmm. have ordinarily. And without the usual informal interactions that we get, the coffees that you grab, the people that you chat to and when you're in New York like us yeah, on your way back to the train or those, yeah. those small moments that just allow you to disconnect and recharge. We don't have those now. And I, I look at leaders and I think of myself as one as well. If you don't model effective recovery, 
then your team is going to just model what you do. And if you burn out, everyone else is going to burn out. So people need to take vacation time. I don't care if you go somewhere or you stay at your house, but you do not log on. You do not send emails. You do not engage. You disconnect. You have to model it for everybody else to model it. So you need to set very clear boundaries. You need to take breaks. You need to take vacation because, you know, we've all seen it. I, I think about the the shin splints I had in, in college, the only way to get rid of shin splints is to rest. rest. That's it. Rest. That's the only thing you can do. And that's, that's where I feel we are right now. We're a year into this pandemic. Yeah. We've all got shin splints and stress fractures and all of the things where the only, the only thing you can do about it is just to rest. Um, last, last question for you, uh, Lauren, any advice you would have for student athletes that are making the transition out of school um, and trying to enter the workforce, what would you, what would you tell them? That's a great question. I would advise them to find an environment that looks and feels like a sports environment that has challenged them. So I think about my journey to playing D1 field hockey. I wanted to put myself in a situation where I was not the best player in the room. And I, I do this now in my career and I highly encourage student athletes to do it, but Find yourself in a place where you're not the smartest person in the room, where you are there to learn, to take away from those who are at the organization. Find that place for yourself, and and that's going to be where you're going to thrive and and really how you can challenge yourself. But never never put yourself in a situation where you know that you're going to knock it out of the park because that is a a recipe of – exactly. You you don't want it to be too easy. That's a recipe to – to stagnate and to stay where you are, but always find yourself in a situation where you are not the the best, the smartest, the fastest person in the room. That's going to be where you thrive. And that's going to be where you, you really take all of what, what sports taught you and you apply it to the next phase of your life. Awesome. If it was easy, everyone would do it. So do the hard stuff. It's amazing. Exactly. Lauren, it was a pleasure having you on. Um, You know, you've done great things in your career, great digital transformation leader, an awesome human being. Thanks so much for jumping on the show again. Absolutely. Thank you so much for thinking of me. This has been fantastic. Where can everybody learn more about you or connect with you uh, online or offline? So definitely find me on LinkedIn. I can't promise that I check it all that often in trying to co-parent and work and, and practice all the recovery principles that I have just preached. Um, but, but if you do shoot me a message there, hang in and I promise I I do get back to most folks. So absolutely feel free to reach out. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Likewise. Thank you. Team, remember to like, subscribe and share with a friend and visit tambourbango.com for a ton of free content and exercises.